Welcome to the Make Light Show, the podcast that's all about curating meaning and joy in a light-filled life. I'm Karen Walrand, photographer, storyteller, and author of The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit, and Make Light, Stories of Bright Sparks, Slow Burns, and Thriving Out Loud. Join me as I speak with light seekers and light makers from around the world, learning all about how they live with intention and a sense of adventure. It's proof that positivity, creativity, and kindness make the world go round. Joining me today is community builder, marketing leader, and entrepreneur, Lisa Stone. She's the co-founder of BlogHer, the revolutionary community, conference, and leading social publisher, amplifying the voices of women writers and content creators online. Before that, she was a social media strategist and journalist for some of the biggest publishers you've ever heard of, including CNN, WebTV, and the New York Times. And now, having sold BlogHer, she's looking forward to her next project, and rest assured, it will have something to do with empowering women. So join us today as we talk about pivoting, how she powered through some of the most stressful times of her life, and which of her alma mater she prefers, Harvard or Oxford. Lisa. Karen. My sweet friend. I'm, <laughs> I'm so thrilled that you did this with me. This is going to be so much fun. Are you kidding? Thank you so much. I'm really excited about your book and this podcast. I'll be oh. listening religiously. <laughs> I hope so. Well, I mean, I'm excited for my listeners to hear your amazing wisdom because I have known you. I was thinking about this. We've known each other for over a decade at this point. You know, the number of hours on the phone because we're <laughs> phone besties. I, we are phone I can't besties. even count the number of times I've called you and said like okay there's this thing I need your advice <laughs> which at every single time you call I'm like wait you need my advice <laughs> no that yeah makes I do no sense. that <laughs> makes no sense all right so for the people who are unfamiliar with you for the two people in the world who are unfamiliar with you um, your bio it's so funny I was looking at your bio on LinkedIn and it says CEO founder market leader community builder and I was like yeah that's cute um, <laughs> but it doesn't even begin to encompass everything that you are right like you you're a journalist you're an entrepreneur you're a tech pioneer right like you're like you're you're kind of you're kind of a big deal on the internet <laughs> One big happy accident, Karen. <laughs> well, and we're going to talk about that because I love how you've sort of crafted your career and how you've um, and how you've pivoted and changed and, and been really sort of mindful at curating your career. And that's what I really would love to talk to you about. So why don't we start before we met, before 2006, I think, is when we met. So BK, before Karen. Before us. Before us. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I, you're a well, you went to Wellesley. I did, to the utter shock of my beloved parents. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I grew up in a small town in Montana, in Missoula, Montana, and I'm the oldest of four kids my parents had in six and a half years. Oh, bless, the, I was bless your the, mama's heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my father. You know, uh, we, I was the family beta. I'm the oldest. Okay. And in software parlance, the beta shipment is what you throw out to the market to see what happens because you've never tried this before. <laughs> well, you must have worked because well, they had 2.0 and 3.0 and 4.0. <laughs> exactly. But suffice it to say, I'm the beta. I'm the shortest. I am uh, the the runt of the litter in every single way. And I was, you know, I was sort of a, a noncommittal student and someone who really enjoyed working at the mall 
Oh, and chasing boys more than I enjoyed studying. <laughs> and so the idea that I was not going to be a waitress uh, for the rest of my life uh, and actually care about getting a higher degree was something my parents despaired about. Uh, so my mother pretty much dared me to apply to Wellesley College because well, she didn't get in. So hang on a second. So tell me, tell me what your, you say your parents despaired of it. What did they do? Uh, uh, they very succinctly continued to insist on conversations about world events uh, and science and art at the dinner table. Were they, were they no scientists and artists? No, my, well, my, I guess my father is. My father's a physician who okay. became a bioethicist, and okay. my mother's a teacher. Okay, one of so. those wonky teachers who, you know, insisted on having an early Apple computer that was the size of a VW in the classroom. <laughs> nice. So they were they were they were education people to begin with. Like they that were. Was the, yeah. Okay. All right. My obsession with lipstick, boys, <laughs> and clothes at the mall was a deep disappointment. <laughs> Well, but look at you now. I mean, I think that gives hope for all of us who have um, <laughs> deep, deep uh, love for frivolous things. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. So, so you apply to Wellesley. Yeah, at my mother's dare. And lo and behold, I got in. And it was the, one of the most important changes I've ever undergone because there I was on this mythical, beautiful campus mm. um, where the only thing to be really embarrassed about was not having the right answer at wow. your 8.30 a.m. class, which everybody went to. So strip away all the trappings of, you know, the superficial that I was wrapped up in. And I sort of, you know, fell in love with getting it done. Getting and, and what was your done. major at Wellesley? political science major and I went to school so long ago that we didn't even have a minor at that time so right. I had a concentration <laughs> in Spanish which I still speak excellent that's or excelente um Gracias. so so you so political science was your thing but you ended up being a journalist I did um, were, were you thinking of being a lawyer and then changed your mind or was journalism sort of your your passion as well I always loved to write, and I was utterly clueless about what to do <laughs> with this degree. I okay. had fallen in love with a study of the media because, you know, growing up in Montana, before the internet and before cable television was available there, mm -hmm. the only media that I got to read that was current, other than Time Magazine or Newsweek, was the New York Times that was flown in from Seattle that was three days old. Oh, that's awesome. I fell so in love with the latest news and what news was and what it wasn't. And I got to study with Marion Just, who's a famous um, professor in the study of media, and also Robert Perlberg, who's an expert on, on food aid. And so I combined those two in a series of projects, and I thought, well, what I really want to do is travel the world and go to Africa and Cambodia and find out what happened mm. to these peoples and cultures who were so... Um, destroyed by war and famine. Um, and then I decided that I would s sort of start small and become a reporter after a few failed jobs at the food stamp program and a research uh, economics company. Wow. Yeah. So, and you were a reporter, was this CNN or was this a I reporter? I started off. I started off in the Bay Area, so after college, I really missed the West, and okay. I moved back out here to California, um, and I 
couldn't get hired as a journalist because I'd never done it before. Mm. You, you didn't do it at school? You weren't like on the student newspaper or anything? Not once. Okay. Not a single thing. <laughs> I love that. But you're like, I'm going to be a journalist anyway. I love That's this. right. That's I sang awesome. a cappella for four years, 20 hours a week, like total pitch perfect kind of geek. I love and, that. <laughs> you know, worked for the food stamp program and uh, then worked for a research economics firm, both here and in, and in Spain. And fell in love with studying uh, the future of the utility industry in what was going to become the European Union. Wow. I came back here and I was like, I want to be a business news and politics reporter. And everyone said, that's great. And there are 20,000 kids more qualified than you, Miss Thing. So <laughs> forget it. So my last hope was crawling into the offices of the San Jose Metro, which is a free weekly newspaper in San Jose, an alternative weekly. And applying to for an internship, a free internship. Wow. And the guy looked at me and he was like, you know what? You're overqualified. You're 24 years old. You've done these other jobs. You've worked internationally. I don't know why you want to do this, but you went to Wellesley College. And uh, you clearly studied there. I've seen your transcripts. I'm going to give you a chance. Wow. God bless him. Uh, he, you know, and they, thank God my mother dared me to go to college. So <laughs> my first job was fact checking the columns of two guys uh, who were constantly getting in the, uh, the newspaper into trouble. Oh, that's one, awesome. Yeah. One was a conspiracy theorist, saw them everywhere. And the other one um, drank on the job. <laughs> It's a dream job then. <laughs> so wait, this is this is an unpaid internship to take yeah. care of these two troublemakers. Yes. That's awesome. And, and they occasionally let me write and I was horrible. Oh, I, I you know what? Not, I don't believe you here. I do not believe you. I, honestly, my first major feature was an interview of a woman named Barbara Boxer. Yes. Who had decided to run for the Senate. Wow. And I sat with her in Mayor Susan Hammer's office in or living room in San Jose and watched this tiny woman who was more like Oprah than I had ever met with her right. warmth and her insistence on doing the right thing. And that night I watched her go into the San Jose City Council, invite the crowd that was overflowing into the city council chairs and behind the dais, which they loved, and right. stack up at least two, maybe three huge California phone books so that she could see over the podium. <laughs> She's like maybe 4'11", like okay. when she takes in a breath. Right. And blew my mind. And I wrote the messiest, terriblest, <laughs> most awful run-on essay, which my poor editor punched into shape. And I realized I wanted to do this more than I had wanted to do anything because I didn't think anyone could write about this woman the way I could. As right. someone who watched women in Montana grow up, you know, being the checkout clerk at the, at the Kmart or the Sears Robot catalog store where we bought food, but also was running their local church. Right. Um, and I wasn't, I was the only woman on the news desk at the right. time. Right, right. Wow. So you've been champion women for a long time oh yeah 
<laughs> so tell me, okay, so you become this, you end up going to CNN, is that right? Yeah, I crawled my way up through a series of Bay Area newspapers, went from San Jose Metro to the Fremont Argus to the Oakland Tribune. I broke a series of stories using the Freedom of Information Act on the FAA, um, wow. a series of national stories, and got recruited to CNN. That's amazing. So you're at CNN. You are you are like a rock star at this point, right? I mean, like I would imagine oh, no. in journalism. Well, but I'd imagine that in, in, in the journalistic field, getting a gig at CNN is pretty special, right? Like that's a pretty high class thing. That was truly very special. And what was great about it was that I got to work with uh, Mark Carter, the head of strategic programming and Tom Johnson to try to improve the value of the of the air that we were the news that we were telling. Mm. That's why they wanted someone who had my investigative and hard news reporting chops. But I was a behind-the-camera woman. I was there to write, and I was there to create programs and kill the ones that weren't working. Sure. Well, yes, but clearly you had to be good at what you were doing in order to get to that gig. So that's, I mean, that's pretty astounding. All right, so you are now at CNN, um, one of the top news agencies in the country, for sure. Tell me how you went from there to founding Blogger, which is pretty revolutionary in itself. I know. <laughs> this, Go this ahead. This is the ultimate pivot. Okay. Um, so I was knocked up when I took my job <laughs> at CNN. I was four months pregnant. Okay. And I, um, my boss knew, uh, and when they took me on, and within the next two years, ninety-seven, three or mm-hmm. four really important things happened. Turner News was bought by Time Warner, which okay. meant the end of my job. I had a baby boy in 1996, and my marriage fell apart. Hmm. I made a decision that in order to create the kind of life I wanted for myself and my son, I needed to leave. So, so wait, your marriage is falling apart, you're losing your job, and you have a baby boy. Yes. So that must have been a really um, stressful time, I'm thinking. <laughs> I was a wreck. I'm sure. That's insane. It was a devastating moment. Mm. Um, Not professionally, just personally. Sure. Devastating. And to have this devastating thing happening, what's interesting is the genesis was my love for my son. Mm. I was a bit of a boiled frog. I didn't realize the degree to which things had changed at home Mm. and the degree to which I was not safe or sane there. Yeah. And looking into my child's face and realizing that I would do anything Mm. to create the loving, warm, light-filled environment that he deserved and that I had been blessed to have changed everything. Mm. And so as hard as it was, it was my holy crusade Hmm. I got my rear into gear Karen I got myself out of that marriage and into a one bedroom apartment and talked my way into my first internet job where I took a major salary cut to work three days a week so I could be four days a week with my baby Hmm. and be the mother I wanted to be while going through this massive transition and it worked 
Wow. So, okay. So you've now done this another huge pivot, um, life pivot. Um, but you know what? I, I find that not that the, not to minimize how difficult this was, because I know it was very difficult, but it, to me, in a lot of ways, it's really easy it's easier to make a pivot when you have the well-being of like a child in mind than your own, than yourself. So I love what you said about how you look into your son's eyes. Um, I know that that can be a powerful impetus, right? <laughs> like when you're, you know, when you, you're looking outside of yourself. So, so you're working at the internet and then, and then what happens? Like, <laughs> I, I love the story of somebody saying that there wouldn't be women on the internet, right? Like that would never happen. So just, I'll tell that story. Was cray cray. <laughs> it was amazing. So figure this out. So when I was at CNN, CNN.com was born. I watched that happen. And then I brokered my broadcast news experience to go to web TV, which is a little set top box that pulled the internet through your television. Wow. Okay. Very cool. I taught myself HTML. I oversaw their news and sports partnerships and content. Mm. And around me, everyone, mostly men, but kind of everyone was saying, you know, women are never going to embrace technology. And what year is this, by the way? This is 1997. Okay. Women are never going to embrace the technology the way men are. They're Mm. never going to use computers in the same way. They're never going to embrace the internet in the same way. Mm. Now, I mean, I would go home at night and in the five minutes between when I was done with work after putting my son down in this tiny apartment and falling asleep like a dead person, (laughs) the only thing I wanted to do was email my friends. Right. I no longer had to call my five friends, including my sisters, and tell them the cute thing the baby did that day or what happened at work. I could email them all one time. The efficiency was mind blowing. Right. So exciting. And at web TV, just as many women as men were buying this product sure. in rural areas as well as urban. I was like, this is expletive deleted. This is <laughs> not okay. Right. It's not right. So when Microsoft bought web TV, a huge exit for Steve Perlman and the other founders, which is great. I uh, said, you know what? Instead of going to InfoSeek to do news, I'm going to women.com networks and I'm going to focus on content for women because mm. I'm fed up. This is not the case. This is going to be real. So for the next four years, I went from being senior producer of a site called Women's Wire across a series of sites. And this was a Hearst-backed company. Wow, okay. Into being editor-in-chief and vice president of programming over a top 30 site that put 11 Hearst magazines and three Rodale magazines online, had the single largest group of message boards anywhere on the internet and showed what women were doing online in everything from sex and relationships to politics and technology. Mm. We did the first webisodes on women in tech called Plugged In, starring a local reporter who would later become famous named Soledad O'Brien. Oh, bless her. <laughs> I remember Soledad. her. <laughs> Wonderful, lovely, charming Soledad, who's, who's a, who is a force of nature on her own right. So so tell me, so Hearst Magazine, tell me, um, tell me some of the magazines that Hearst owned that, that you were working with. Yes. So I was the head of original content. We also had a, I had a magazine unit in okay. New York and I had teams in both places. So we helped put 
Cosmopolitan. Okay, Red so Book, all, Harper's all, the, Bazaar. all yeah. the magazines that we all think of are part of Hearst, right? Like, yes, some of the biggest, the biggest. So th- this was huge. So which makes that whole comment by this guy that said the women, there are no women on the Internet, even crazier. Correct. Right. Like, <laughs> like that makes it insane. It was wild because at the same time, you know, women have almost always been the heads of household spending. We control and are influence 85% of household spending here in the United States. And that number is growing massively internationally as well. And to say that women who were telling me when I was at women.com and our research group that they would give up their telephones <laughs> in order to keep the internet. I right. was like, drop mic, walk away. Right, right. Okay, she's going to give up her phone Right, right. Right? It was crazy. So so what was the event where this person said this? And what made you think, you know what, I'm going to leave all this behind and found Blocker? Oh, so women.com and iVillage.com, the two great dueling women's sites, That's both right. went public at exactly the wrong time. Okay. <laughs> and were, became penny stocks and were merged okay. into, uh, into iVillage and God bless the victor. They did a fantastic job with it. Well, instead of going to New York to work for iVillage, um, an offer they made, but I'm not sure they really meant. <laughs> right. Um, I w- applied for and received a Neiman Fellowship to Harvard. They right. have a journalism fellowship that's given to 13 American journalists. And I wanted to study the emotional bonds that I saw women creating in message boards and IRC chats and gaming. Okay. And figure out a business model. Now, that was the year of 9-11, 2001, Mm. when blogs took off. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is it. This is it. Beautiful, gorgeous, sponsorable HTML at the top. Party in the back. Right. (laughs) I'm in. Right. This is great. So I came up with this distributed network model because I found that anything that happened in message boards or IRC chats was so much stronger, more resonant, more popular. You know, it turns out we all loved Lucy when I Love Lucy was on television because it was the only thing on. We're actually much more interested in our own lives. Yeah, sure. Go figure. Sure. So I came back to the Bay Area with this model for a distributed blog network where we could build new newsstands went to law.com getting back to my you know reporting roots and launched one there working with a brilliant executive editor named jennifer collins who went on to a great career with variety and tribune and everything else and it was very popular and it worked i was also blogging the democratic national convention for the la that's times right i forgot about that for that's the right. new york times and doing all this other stuff well in january of 2005 here i am a paid blogger woohoo who knew Right. Kevin Drum from the Washington Monthly asked a question. Where are the women who blog? Q screaming. (laughs) (laughs) So he says that. Did you respond in the moment? I saw it. I read the hue and cry from other women who blog. And I stormed home and said to Christopher Carfee, look, this is baloney. This is your partner. Yeah. Yeah. This is baloney. We need a conference. This is a show, not a tell. We need to show the world when we're blogging. Mm. And he's like, okay, babe, stop talking. Get walking. Right. What are you going to do? I didn't want to do it by myself. So a friend introduced me to a woman named Elisa Camerhort Page. Lovely woman. I think, yes. And she became my co-founder. We sat down over coffee. We yacked and yodeled about this ridiculousness. I told her my idea and she said, we're going to do it. Okay, so stop. 
let's stop right here because I love this. So you see, uh, you have this idea. You're you've got a good job. You're doing great. You have now you have a partner. Chris is amazing, right? So yes. you're thriving right where you are, right? And all of a sudden, this person says something that just ticks you off, and you decide, I'm going to do something. You find somebody introducing somebody you've never met before. And together you're like, yeah, let's do this. I need to understand a little bit more about how that happened, right? Because that's some crazy, that, like that's crazy, right? Like that is that is insane, right? I mean, in hindsight, it wasn't insane because it was wildly successful. But how did you, how did you get brave enough to go? Yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, like, talk me through that. Oh, that is an easy answer. Okay. So the thought in my mind when I read that was. Not again. No, 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 no. You do not get to take our blogosphere from us. This is too precious, too important. What women are doing, writing and saying directly to their audiences without the interference or restriction of newsrooms and news outlets relentlessly dominated by men Mm. and male power structures. I will not allow it. This is unacceptable because at that time, the thing I wanted most in the world is to be taken seriously as an opinion editorialist and essayist. Mm. There is not a single major metropolitan daily newspaper, Karen, in the United States that has ever had more than 25 percent of its voices from women. The majority of the population. And God forbid you be anything but white because you will (laughs) not get on that page except as a special, you know, highly at that time anyway, in the 80s and 90s, highly tokenized cameo, Sure, right? Sure. And around me, I had just with women.com under the leadership of the founder, Ellen Pack, and the team there been able to take voices I thought everyone should hear, like Soledad O'Brien, and give her her own show. Okay. Right. right. Well, okay. Yes. I'm going to press back on you on this though. So, because I really, I want to get to this. Like one of the things I, first of all, by the way, I love all of this and I, it's playing right into a book that I recently read, which I'm going to go ahead and put in the show notes, um, called a selfish plan to change the world by Justin Dillon, which is awesome. And he talks about finding your riot, finding that thing within you that you will not let go. Like this is bugging me enough that I need to do something (laughs) about it. Right. And that's what this sounds like to me is you're, this was your riot, right? Like this was, this was your thing. And what I'm, what I would love to, to hear about, um, is there's a lot of things that bug me, right? Like there's a lot of things where I can go, you know what? The world should have more or the world should really do this. Somebody should take care of that. But it's not, it's not ever enough for me to do it. Right. So what, Again, what made it so personal for you that you were like, no, I'm going to get up off my seat and I'm going to do something about this. Do you remember, like, was it something that you were just compelled to do? Was it your riot? How did that, how did you get to the point where you're like, I I don't care about safety. We got to do this. I'm going to take this risk. Great question. This was the moment when I felt absolutely called, called Mm -hmm. to action. I Mm -hmm. had the data. I had had the data for years. We, this was 2005. I had been looking at server data about the addiction of women Mm. to content and conversations online together. 
Mm. Whether men were in the conversation or not. I had the experience. I had taught myself HTML and a little PHP, not a pretty site, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I had gone way outside my comfort zone to learn all kinds of technologies in order to create the storytelling and the opening for other women to step up on the pedestal and tell their own. Mm. I also had the fed upitude. I had the passion. <laughs> right. I had the emotion. Right. Because I was like, wait a minute. I just was the first internet journalist to get this award. And I created something that made money for American Lawyer Media's Law.com. Mm. I've been writing for the LA Times. This is a real thing. Right. This is actually, and this is rare for me because as a journalist, I'm always ask first, tell later. Right. This, is, this is a tell. Yeah. This is the thing where I stop and say no. But Karen, I also knew based on that data and experience and passion and coming from you know, right back down to being a family with three girls and one boy and my siblings, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a, what one of my sisters who's an improv, improvisational actress and expert calls groupity group. I'm a group girl. <laughs> yeah. I, I do group. So I knew that nothing I tried to come out of, you know, out of Lisa Stone's mind, you know, single mom from Montana, newly dating, you know, um, fed up girl I knew it was never going to be as effective as if I could come together with a couple of other creative mm. women and 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 create some call to action mm. so meeting Elisa was critical and I'll never forget how hard we laughed at this at this coffee we had because you know I had been doing these things girlfriend had nine blocks wow nine blocks wow Nine, wow. including one of the very first e-commerce blogs I ever saw called Hip and Zen for an eco-friendly commerce store. This woman was living her values in the right. same way I was. Right. And so what I didn't realize was when you ask Lisa Camerhart Page to do something, you better mean it because she came <laughs> to play. And so we immediately started planning. It was like, and I remember Karen feeling this pressure on the back of my neck, just like I felt when I... I decided I had to leave my marriage. And just mm. like I felt like mm. I was going to apply for this insane journalism fellowship at Harvard, even though they had never had an internet journalist there. Mm. I felt called to do it. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way. It was my truth. It was my values in that moment. Um, so from the time that you felt that moment and then had your meeting with Elisa to the launching of BlogHer. What was the time period between that? Uh, four months. Wow. 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 Was, and that was the site, right? That wasn't the conference. That was, that was the, the site. conference. That was, that was a conference in four conference. months? Yeah. Oh, you're crazy. We met, maybe it was five, because I had this idea in January. I met her in February. I think it was February 11th is our anniversary, as we call it. Yep. Then she met our third co-founder, Jory Desjardins. Jory, who's lovely as well. Right, because Elisa had always been in um, marketing and operations. I had always been in content community. <laughs> Notice the lack of sales experience yeah. on those two. Jory, so Jory became your sales guy. Your right. sales guy. That's Guru, awesome. right? Guru, yes. And so four months later, we pulled off Blogger 2005. We invited other women to come and show the world that women were blogging. While That's inviting amazing. the cameras from CNN. Um, and um, Elisa even reached out to Marissa Meyer, at, at, who was then at Google, and said, Fangirls, will you come? And Marissa got us sponsored. Yahoo wow. sponsored us, Law.com. 
Wow. Um, and 305 women showed up and we accidentally made $60,000. <laughs> In your first conference, five months after your idea. We were like, okay, what the heck just happened? That's amazing. And it went on to, well, it still exists. The conference certainly still exists. The site certainly still exists. Was there ever a point? Well, I guess not. I was going to ask you if there was ever a point that you thought it wasn't going to work. But with five months and that kind of success, you knew it was working pretty quickly on. Well, we knew we had something. What we didn't know was whether or not it was a business. And the thing about me and Elisa and Dory is that we had all done the startup life. Okay. That's why we bootstrapped the company for two years until we raised our first round of venture capital in 2007. Amazing. It and was, then, go, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. And, and so how long did it go? Because eventually you guys were able to sell the business. Yes. When you take venture capital, you are agreeing to have an exit. You're right, either going sure. to go public or sell the company because you have to make your investors whole. Sure. So for the next 12 years, wow. we worked together and we built it from a crazy conference idea into a scalable technology platform. An that, international community. Yes. It was a two-way marketplace where we were um, working with... 3,000 blogs, 17,000 influencer accounts across Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, um, Instagram, and thousands of sponsors. We reached 100 million people a month Wow! Um, across blogs and social media. That's the distributed network. Our own, our own site really existed to give traffic away to that right. community. And in the last five full fiscal years I was CEO, we paid... $36 million out to 5,700 women and some men. Amazing. Amazing. And and I, like I said, I, I love that it was so international because you said this, the first one was 2005. I went to the 2006 conference, which is yes. I think when we met and I, I was living overseas. I was living in Trinidad at the time. I remember. Right. I never forget. <laughs> in San Jose. I, it was amazing. So, okay. So, so you, you, you've exited as, in order to make your investors hold, you've exited. And then that was recent. How long ago? Was that two years ago? Yeah. 2015. I, is that right? Uh-huh. I did my year plus a day um, as the outgoing CEO. Turns right. out companies don't need two of those. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, my last day was December 31st, 2015. Wow. And then I decided to take some time off. Nice. Which has been lovely to see, frankly. I know. Watch, watching, watching you um, relax and enjoy and sit back and, and uh, enjoy the well, your well-earned rest has been fantastic. I torture my children. Wonderful. <laughs> As you should. And now your son is an adult. That sweet little baby, right? Is yes! A, is a full-on adult. So tell me, what, like, what's next? Because you're in the middle of a pivot right now. Really? I am. You know, um, if I may, my my dear friend, uh, Liesen Stromberg, um, with whom I was in a new baby group, you know, 21 years ago, just wrote a book that's sort of describing what I'm doing right now. It's called Work, Pause, Thrive. I'm mm. in a pause, right? Right, right. It turns out women pause all the time. And, and if we can hide it in our resumes, it hurts our earning potential less. Right. But it's been a real blessing to be able to to do this. And I can tell you that, you know, as a, as a passionate feminist, um, 
an advocate for progressive values. Um, I am, you know, and as a a wife and mother in a family with, um, you know, multiple gender preferences and multiple races, Mm. the single most important thing for me is to continue to advocate for the financial, professional, and personal welfare and strength of women who are keeping all that together. That's your riot. That is. It's going to be forever. I mm-hmm. thought I might take a, like, a little side tour. I dabbled in being an entrepreneur in residence at a VC firm and learned that I'm a relentlessly optimistic, passionate entrepreneur, not mm-hmm. an investor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm, the next thing I do will be in this vein as well. That's awesome. I love that. So you, it sounds to me like you've totally found your passion and are spending your life you figuring out how to use your gifts to serve that passion and I think that's I mean I think that's what we're here for I actually think that's the meaning of life you're right you know I think that really is the meaning of life it is so what would your advice be to give to somebody who is afraid of pivoting afraid of leaving that nice safe job and doing what they're being called to do Oh, I want to honor that fear for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is okay to be afraid. You have to face those fears in order to get to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You've got to dig deep and get into all your fears about yourself and the world in order to lift yourself up. I have spent a lot of time afraid, Karen. Mm-hmm. And I think that what has made me brave when I've had to be brave has been love for the people that I feel like I'm here to protect. Because what you don't hear in my story is, you know, um, I've never been beaten so badly I got put in the hospital. I was raised by two people I know love me. Mm. I got to go to college. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have all the privilege that comes with being a white American woman today. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, you know, Marion Wright Edelman, quote, the cert, we, let me get this brilliant quote right. Yeah. Um, service is the rent we all pay for living. That's right. And I remember reading that quote of hers in the downest time, right? Mm-hmm. After the divorce, after women.com failed. Um, halfway into my fellowship at Harvard, really bottoming out and realizing all the stress and, and, and crushing um, anxiety that I've been dealing with and realizing that, you know what, as bad as I might have had it at times, I had a world of, of luck on my side mm. and I needed to get to it. Yeah. Wow, I love that. All right, that's this is amazing. I, we're, it's so hard to go from this to what we're what I call a bullet round. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we are going to make that shift because I want people also to get a great snapshot of who has just been giving them all this wonderful, amazing advice. So, so are you ready? A, I I'm, do. I'm going to do a little theme song. <laughs> there you go. So I'm going to make you choose one of two things, a series of two things. All right. And and don't think about it too much. Got it. Whatever comes to mind. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. All right. Salty or sweet? 
Salty. All right. Here's one. Conference or retreat? Oh. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> I can't say both. No, you can't say both. Conference. Oh, wow. Very good. Night or day? Mm, night. Yeah. All right. So... We didn't talk about this, but I chose it because I was looking on your resume and you not in addition to Harvard, you also went to Oxford for a while. So Harvard or Oxford? Wellesley. (laughs) (laughs) I will. I will allow that. How about that? (laughs) I wouldn't have got to either place without my Wellesley sister. No way. Fair enough. All right. Um, And this one is one that my daughter um, makes me ask everybody. Pandora or Spotify? (gasps) Oh, I know. Today, Spotify. Okay. And Facebook or Instagram? Instagram. Awesome. All right. And finally, what is your definition of what it means to thrive? For me, the definition of thriving is doing something on behalf of love every single day. Mm, I love that. The world can make us bitter. It can make us bitter. There's plenty to be bitter about and PO'd about. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for that. (laughs) I'm 50 now. Yep. It is time to work from love and move all that trash to the side. No toxic people. No toxic environments. I will do my thing. I love it. I love it. And I wholeheartedly, I'm 50 now too, and I wholeheartedly agree. So awesome. That's so great. You are a star. Thank you. No, you are. (laughs) No, you are. (laughs) Thank you so much for being a part of this, Lisa. It's always such an amazing time to talk with you. Karen, it's an honor. You're amazing. Thank you, boo. Man, I love having whip smart friends. Thanks so much to the lovely Lisa for spending time with me today. And as always, I'm grateful to you for joining us here on the Make Light Show. If you'd like to find out more about today's guest, Lisa Stone, be sure to check out the show notes. I'm Karen Wallerand, and I'll be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to this show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. Thrive on, friends. 